thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. I'll pray over the word this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray that it's only your word, not mine, that you speak this morning and that we have ears to hear, uh, hearts to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll jump uh, right in. Um, at the beginning of every year, we do a series where we look at a vision statement for the year, just a word that the Lord gives us over the year. And uh, we spend a few weeks on that. But then once in the summer, uh, just one Sunday, I like to come back to that and revisit it just as a, a refresher on what God has called us to for this season, for this year. And in 2022, that word was to be positioned with purpose. And this is that Sunday when we're going to revisit that word. Uh, so back in January and a little bit in February, we looked at what it means to be positioned with purpose. We looked at this on two levels. First, recognizing that wherever you are in life, you have been positioned there with purpose. There is nothing you can do to influence whether or not that is true. It's simply the truth. You have been positioned by God with purpose. We serve a God of purpose who does things on purpose. You're not a mistake. You're not here by mistake. Uh, you have a purpose. We have been positioned with purpose. Why do you live in this area in this time? Why do you live in a culture that's at war against Christianity, that's at war against the family? Uh, it's because we got, serve a God of providence. Uh, this isn't a why me scenario. It's a fact that God said, I want you for this specific season in this specific place. You have a calling. You have a purpose here. So we're talking about living in that Esther reality that says, perhaps I am here for such a time as this. You have been positioned by God on purpose with purpose. That's what we're talking about, first of all, when we're saying positioned with purpose. And that reality is beyond your influence. What is within your influence is how you respond to that truth. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Now, in January and February, we talked about this a little, a little bit, but we're going to come at it from a different angle today. But uh, back at that time, we talked about the importance of positioning our own hearts before God if we want to see a move of God in our midst. Any move of God on a, on a grand level starts on a personal level. Uh, any citywide move of God starts with a personal move of God that takes place. So what we said is a large-scale uh, large move of God begins with a personal move of God. So if we're praying for God to send revival, then what we're praying first of all is, God, send a revival to my own heart. Now, for some of this, uh, for some of us, this, this often means we need to reposition our hearts before God. The Bible says, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we do that? We reposition our hearts in worship when we come before God in authentic worship, recognizing his greatness and his mission. Uh, we re reposition our hearts in God's word. So we're not just being fed on Sunday mornings, but we're feeding ourselves in God's word throughout the week. And we re reposition our hearts through prayer. But this morning, uh, we're, we're coming at a, a different angle, being positioned with the purpose of reaching others for Christ. Now, to get there, I want to begin with a passage from the book of Ephesians. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, 
Uh, Paul kind of teases the idea of grace there in the first chapter. He talks about uh, grace and peace to you and glory to the God of all grace. And then he defines grace in cha uh, chapter 1, verse 7, when he says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. And he's kind of just mentioning grace here and there. But when he gets to chapter 2, he begins to really hammer home the idea of grace. So we're going to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. Paul is writing and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient or unbelieving is another word uh, there. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace, say grace. grace. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Say grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, say grace. grace, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you can see when we get to chapter 2, Paul is no longer just mentioning grace here or there. He is driving home the idea and the concept of grace, which in their day and time was kind of a new concept altogether. Now, this passage we just read is, is unique for a number, number of reasons, but one of those is in those 10 verses, Paul addresses and he speaks to their past, their present, and their future. And that's what we're going to look at for a minute. Regarding their past, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, and you used to follow the ways of the world. He said, when you take your past, when you take this truth and you add it all up, what you get is the reality that you are deserving of wrath. He says, when you add up everything that you have accomplished in your life, you're deserving of wrath. But then comes a beautiful three-letter word, but. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. He, he says, uh, what we have is we were deserving of wrath, but that that deservedness that we have is on a collision course with the love and the mercy of God and what we find is the love and mercy of God came out on top. It's kind of like when Georgia played Alabama in the national championship and the good guys won. It's just like that. I got that from the Bible somewhere, I think. But in verse 4, he says, What we are deserving was met with the love and mercy of God, but the love of God won. Then Paul summarizes all of this with one simple statement in verse 5. He says, It is by grace you have been saved. In verse 6, he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, because of the way that this verse is written, it can be kind of confusing. Uh, I've always gotten this idea in my head that God raises us up, and I think of the ascension of Jesus Christ, how he ascended into the heavens, because it's talking about being raised up and seated with Christ. But I think it's actually a little more simple than that and not so confusing. And I'll tell you why. When Paul writes that God raised us up with Christ, uh, he actually uses the same word, uh, the same root word that Jesus used in Matthew 10:8 when Jesus made the command to the disciples to go out and heal the sick and raise the dead. And it's the same word that the angel used in Matthew 28 when he's talking about Jesus and he says, he is not here, he is risen. The word that they're using here uh, is the word that's referenced for a resurrection from death to life. When Paul says that you have been raised up with Christ, he's saying there is a resurrection that has taken place in your life from death to life. Now, this is important because what is this resurrection he's talking about? What is the death he is talking about? Well, we actually just read it in verse 1. He said, as for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And it's kind of an oxymoron here because he says, you used to live in death. Do you see that? He says, you were dead and that's how you lived your life. But there is a resurrection that has taken place in Christ where you have been raised from that life where you were bound to sin and bound to your transgressions and he has given you a new life. You have been raised up, resurrected out of that, at, resurrected out of that dead place. You no longer belong there. You are no longer bound there. So where do we belong? We belong with Christ in heavenly realms. In other words, your mind now belongs with Christ. Your heart now belongs with Christ. Your thoughts, your purpose, your very identity is seated with Christ in heavenly realms. You have been raised up from that old life where you were bound to sin. You have been raised into new life where you are bound to Christ. On to verse 7. Paul writes, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ Jesus. And then he says it again, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, why is there this emphasis on grace in the book of Ephesians? Why is it grace, 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 grace? And actually, if we look at the book of Revelation, it kind of gives us some insight into why he's talking about grace so much. In Revelations chapter 2, uh, uh, God speaks to John and he says, I want you to write a letter to the church at Ephesus. And this is what I want you to say to the church at Ephesus. He says, I want you to tell them, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. He says, I know that you are hard workers and that you persevere through the highs and the lows that, that uh, you have endured hardships. What we find in the Ephesian church is it was a church that was known for their hard work. Hard work's a good thing. But what Paul is warning them against is that hard work is not what earns your salvation. That, that perseverance, that's not what earns your salvation. He wants you to know uh, work is a good thing. Don't be lazy. But he's saying, 
Remember, it is the grace of God and the grace of God alone. That's why he emphasizes it so much. That is the basis of your salvation. So at this point, just in those eight verses, he's dealt with our past and our present. He says, in your past, you were bound to sin. You were dead in your transgressions. But presently, you are now alive in Christ by the grace of God. Now again, if we stop there, what we're left with is a lazy Christianity. A Christianity that just says, you don't have to work. And technically, you don't have to, to earn salvation. But if we continue here with what Paul says, he addresses now our future. In verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul writes, You are saved by grace alone, not by works, but those very works that do not save you, you were created to do them. You were created to do good works. It'll earn you nothing in terms of salvation. But you were created, and he says, not only that, he has gone before you to prepare them. I feel like part of becoming an adult uh, in life is uh, people begin asking you to help them move all the time. Um, it's just something, and, and if you own a truck, that's why we don't own a truck. If you own a truck, it's like a flashing neon sign that says mover right above. I asked Brian this morning, he's got a big truck. I said, how many times have you helped people move? He says, I can't even count anymore. It's because you have a truck. That's why you need to get a bicycle. <laughs> um, have you ever helped somebody move and nothing was ready to go? Nothing was prepared. I think most people have. I was actually listening to someone a few weeks ago. They said they were helping someone move, and they got there, and the sheets were still on the bed. The clothes were still hung in the closet and in the, in the chest or drawers. And they said they, they just wanted everything moved that way. So they, they picked up the, the dresser, which had all the clothes in it, and the guy says, feels like there is a bowling ball in this thing. And the guy says, oh, wait, hold on, put it down for a minute. And he pulls a bowling ball out, and he's like... <laughs> You are in no way prepared for us to make this move. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I present to you my wife. <clears throat> because when we moved from Florida to Pennsylvania, uh, we actually, someone said to us, I've been a part of many moves. This is the easiest, most organized move I have ever been a part of in my life. Everything is boxed up and labeled and ready to go, pretty much sitting by the door. It's not that there was no work to do, it's that before that work, before people arrived for the work, everything was prepared and ready to go. The Bible says that we have works that had been prepared for in advance. In other words, God has laid the foundation, put the boxes at the door, and all he wants us to do is to step into it. Not step into the box, but step into the work. <laughs> you know, in the, in the Old Testament... When Moses is encouraging Joshua, because Joshua is kind of nervous to be the guy that takes over for Moses, uh, Moses says, uh, be strong and be courageous, even in those seasons where you're scared, where you're facing armies, where you're facing the Jordan River that's, that's flowing. Just be strong and courageous. And he, he tells him why he should be strong and courageous. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, he says, this is why, because the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He says, one of the sources of your courage is simply the knowledge that where you're going, 
God has already gone. Now, for Joshua, this changed everything. This changed his perspective on everything. Why did this change, it, change his perspective? Because in the Old Testament, they knew this was not figurative. This was literal, that, that they knew God is going to go before me and prepare every step of the way. And I think we would have more confidence in sharing the gospel if we believed God has gone before me and prepared their hearts for the gospel. God has gone before me and prepared this good work for me to just step into it. So Moses says, uh, God goes before you. He's never going to leave you. Therefore, you can be strong and courageous and, and don't be discouraged or afraid. And then we get to Joshua uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 15. And it's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. You've probably heard me share it before, but it's good enough to share again. Because they step up to the Jordan River, and the Bible says the Jordan River is at flood stage. If you were part of our baptisms last year, by the way, awesome, awesome Sunday last week, 13 baptisms, and thank you to everybody who came out and celebrated with us. Last year was awesome too, but the river was at flood stage. It was about 15, 20 feet higher than it was this past week, and those of you who were there, remember we tied off a rope to a tree so no one would go too far downstream, uh, but it was still a good time, and uh, okay. So... <laughs> You know what flood stage means. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage, and they need to get across. across. It's at flood stage at all, all, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, and the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Uh, one of the keys to this verse is where the water cut off. It says that uh, it piled up in a great heap in a town called Adam. And uh, we have archaeological dis uh, discoveries today uh, that basically we know exactly where that town is. And what we know based on history is that town is prone to earthquakes. And on at least a six, six occasions in recorded history, not including here in the Bible, so six extra biblical sources tell us that an earthquake caused the banks of the Jordan River to fall into the river and stopped the flow of the water. So most recently this happened in 1927 for 21 hours. The flow of water stopped completely for 21 hours. It happened exactly where the Bible says that it happened here uh, in the book of uh, Joshua. Now here's where it gets even more interesting to me. This location is 16 miles upstream from where they crossed the Jordan River. What that means is once the water stopped flowing for that stoppage to reach Joshua and the Israelites took over two hours. What that means is when they stepped into the Jordan River, God had already gone before them two hours prior to cause the earthquake to happen so that the stoppage of water would reach them at that moment. See, the, the, the Bible says that God goes before you and prepares the way for you. In the Old Testament, it was a literal truth. Today, when the Bible says that God has prepared good works for you beforehand, it is a literal truth that you can just step into knowing that God has prepared the heart for every person you encounter. 
In the Old Testament, this changed everything about their response to God, about their obedience to God. And it should change how we view things. When you feel an urging on your heart to share the gospel with someone, to just say, hey, God loves you, something that simple, or buy someone's gas if you can afford it, uh, to do just something to serve someone, that could just be a fleeting thought, or God could have been preparing their hearts long before, and they could really need that moment, and you're just there because God has positioned you there to step into it. So when we're talking about positioning ourselves to reach others, it's simply opening our eyes and looking for those opportunities, recognizing we serve a God of providence and not coincidence, a God who might have just set that occasion up for you to step into his will. Uh, our kids... Um, just wrapped up T-ball a few weeks ago. Praise God, they wrapped up T-ball a few weeks ago. Um, but in T-ball, uh, they are positioned in a certain way. And, and actually, this occurs on two levels. First, they are positioned by the coach based on the need. So the coach tells them where to position themselves. But then he tells them, you need to position yourselves to be prepared for the ball to be hit towards you. And I have no idea why they do this. In fact, our kids were the only ones I saw doing this. But when they said, okay, get ready, they're going to hit, our kids did like this with their gloves. And I'm thinking, I've never seen anybody in the major leagues get ready for a ball to be hit to them like that. But what they're doing is they're saying, the coach has positioned me here, and now I'm going to position myself to respond in case the ball comes my way. Understand two things. God has positioned you here in life. In Venango County, Crawford County, wherever you are, God has positioned you. But then the, there is a part of that in your hands where you are positioning yourselves in, in response and saying, God, if you have placed me here by providence, then I'm going to be ready. And I'm going to step out in faith, believing that you have gone before me. Renee, could you come? Understand that you have been positioned to reach people. And then ask the question, am I positioning myself to reach people? Am I allowing God to work through me? He's placed me here, I believe, for such a time as this. Am I responding the way that he has called me to respond, believing that he has gone before me and prepared the way? If you guys could stand with me. In uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, We are Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. We find it all throughout the Bible. When God wants to do a work, he sends his people. To Moses, he said, I have heard the cries of my people, the Israelites. So Moses, I'm sending you. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, so you go. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. In other words, because he has all authority, he has placed you here today. Because he has all knowledge and all sovereignty, he has placed you here today and placed you in your workplace. There was a day where the idea behind the church was we go to church and we pay the pastor to be the church and the pastor will reach everyone for us and we'll just pay our tithes and offerings and, and that's it. 
that's pretty far from biblical because the Bible says that the church is basically here to equip you to do the works of God. God has called you to be the church. And you encounter people on a daily basis that I may never meet in my life. But you have been placed there with a purpose. And God has gone before you and prepared good works for you to do in advance. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us clarity, Lord, that uh, you would open our eyes to see maybe people that you have placed in our lives that we've never recognized was a God thing. I pray you would give us the words to say and the boldness to say it, Lord. The church as Renee leads us. I just want you to, to invite the Spirit to search your heart and say, God, who have you placed here in my life? Who is it that you've placed in my life that I might share your truth with them and your love with them and your grace? As Renee leads us, just say that prayer. God, I pray that that would be the, the desire of our heart that you would do whatever you want to, that your kingdom would come, that we would value your kingdom above our own. And I pray our eyes would be open to see opportunities, Lord, that are not coincidence, but they're divine encounters. pray that we are empowered by your spirit and that we can walk in boldness, Lord, and share your gospel. We thank you that we have good news to share. This morning, Lord, we lift up everyone on the mission trip and everyone who's uh, getting ready to leave and just pray your protection, Lord. And we pray that we walk into encounters, Lord, that you have prepared beforehand. We pray in Jesus' name. We were going to try this week to get you guys, in case you were interested, the names of everyone going. So I'm just going to tell you, in case you would like to pray for people by name, the McQuaid family uh, is going. Uh, I'm leaving right after service with Brian, and we're going to be driving past midnight tonight, so keep us uh, in prayer. Um, the Fishers, uh, the Wagners, is that it, Brian? Okay. I think that's it, but if you, if you like to pray for people by, by name specifically, then that's, that's who's going to be gone until next Saturday. But we will see you next week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.